0: Which is on one level, it's fantastic, right? I, I I love it. I love the enthusiasm. On the other hand, it's like I don't sleep because it's every time, every day, I'm late on the bait. I'm disappointing thousands of people, and it's a lot of weight to carry.
1: Hey, this is Jesse here, and this is episode ninety-five of the Betting Startups Podcast, where I talk to Jonathan Strauss from Invincible GG, which is AI-powered virtual sports. In this episode. Jonathan breaks down the unique concept of Invincible GG, which combines AI, NFTs and traditional betting. He also talks about the lengthy process he went through to get the game classified and regulated and gives his perspective on the future prospects for NFTs. This was a super interesting episode and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But before we get going, quick note that this is the final episode of 2023 and I just wanted to say thanks to you, the audience, for your support of the podcast over the last year. I don't ask for much, but if you were so inclined to give me a holiday gift, a five-star review of this podcast on Apple or Spotify would mean the world to me. Happy holidays to you and yours, and I look forward to bringing you more game-changing startups in 2024. All right, we are back with episode 95 of the Betting Startups podcast, and what I think I'm going to officially declare as being our last episode of 2023. And with me is Jonathan Strauss from Invincible GG, and Jonathan, no pressure, but I am looking for a strong finish to the year. So I hope you're ready to rock on this one. Uh, I know it's launch day for you. I really appreciate you joining the podcast on a day that you've been building towards for quite some time here. So just to check in at the starting line, how are you feeling? How's everything going today?
0: I feel awesome. And uh, it's been, you're right. It's been years in the making and we are excited to be here. A little apprehensive and nervous because things can always go wrong, but
1: no worries. We're going to have a great beta. Well, uh, you and I caught up a couple of weeks ago, and and you sort of introduced me to what you and the team have been working on. And there's a lot of layers to it. I'm not going to lie. It took me a minute to get my head wrapped around the many aspects to it. So I'm excited to sort of deconstruct and unpack all of it today for the audience. Maybe just as a starting point, Jonathan, as we do, it'd be great to spend a couple minutes up front to introduce yourself. If you could give folks listening a bit of a sense of your background, your journey, maybe some of the major chapters along the way up until the origins of Invincible GG. Sure, happy to. And, and Jesse, thank you so much for having us on.
0: It's great to be on your show, and great to uh, get a chance to talk to your audience. So my background is diverse. Let's start with that. So you know, education wise, I'm a Duke guy. Don't hold that against me, please. Uh, Wharton Business School. I was did uh, international M and A and consumer finance at GE Capital before business school, and then after business school with McKinsey and Company for a long time during the dot com boom. Got the bug, left, started my own company, sold it. Uh, After a year, created my next company coming out of that, which was called the Bellweather Group. And the the plan was only good deals with good people and things I'm passionate about. It just so happens I'm really passionate about video games and alternative energy and those kind of things. And so we had the joy of working with a company that uh, if you own a Philips Hue light bulb now, they're the guys that invented it. And I helped sell it to to Philips. But video games is really where our focus was. And that's where we ran into this technology that we acquired that's resulting in what Invincible GG is today, uh, AI-based sports simulation, specifically horse race simulation. At some point, I made the decision I wanted to stop advising people and actually get into it myself. And I love video games, so I jumped in with both feet in this company.
1: Awesome, and you kind sort of alluded to it there. I think Invincible GG has a bit of an interesting origin story. It's not your typical startup story uh, where you get a few few people together on a team and sit in the garage and, and try and incubate this concept. I mean, there's been a bit of a long journey up until this point. Obviously, Invincible GG and the product coming to market today is a newer project, but the origins actually date back some way. So it'd actually be great to talk about the the genesis of it and and the journey here up until this point and how again the current product coming to market originated within that wider journey.
0: Well, we were working on a sell side MA engagement at Bellwether in uh, the UK, and I hadn't spent much time in the UK, but I do like sports and I like sports betting. And so I was uh, in London and started seeing all the betting shops and walked in to place a few bets on Premier League football matches and uh, saw the virtual racing. And then uh, I was talking to, it, to the company we were serving and the CEO was like, well, listen, we got a really cool... Virtual racing ourselves It's AI based, it's interactive television. It's, it's, we're in a partnership with Telewest, it's going all over the UK. And I fell in love with it and fell in love with the concept. And I thought, well, geez, the UK is a fixed odds market. The global horse betting market is a pari market. If we can take this AI based technology and make it a real time event and then stream it out to the world, it's a $100 billion market we can jump into. So we worked a way for us to acquire the technology from the company all seemed so easy at first. The idea of taking AI-based simulation and getting it distributed globally for legal wagering seemed like a really simple thing, but as you know, for sure it's not. And uh, we ran smack into a million regulatory obstacles and uh, we had to get uh, the technology certified and approved. And that was a multi-multi-year journey for just to get people's heads wrapped around, well, it's AI-based, it's a simulation, how do we know the results are fair? How do we know the results are real? And we spent literally years educating specifically the Nevada gaming board and their technology labs on how we do what we do and getting them comfortable that this is not just a fair gambling event. We've perceived the future of a whole genre of gambling events. So long story short, we spent the years and the time and the money. We got it approved in Nevada. Recent news, we just got our company license and our product license in the country of Panama yesterday. So we're now legal for distribute this all through Panama, and that's exciting as well. So we've been trying to do this the right way for a long time. And the new stuff we're doing uh, in Web3 and our mobile game is just other pieces of the puzzle that we think are pretty exciting.
1: Well, you've hinted out a few things here, right? We, you have mentioned AI already, you just mentioned Web3, mobile gaming. So all of, all of the acronyms, all of the buzzwords, as I said at the outset here, you guys are, are doing a lot. So I want to start to unpack the actual product and and maybe help the audience understand it a little bit here. So let's assume my 89-year-old grandfather's listening. We need to break it down in a way he would understand. Let's start with the high concept overview, Jonathan. Can you just break down again, like what the product is, the value proposition, and, and ultimately sort of who it's serving and what are the benefits to your customers?
0: Sure. Well, I think it comes out of my own and my team's personal love of video gaming, first and foremost. People think of us as a gambling or gaming company. We're actually not. We distribute content for gambling. We don't do Gambling ourselves. We're about competitive gaming. We believe that the most exciting part of playing games is competing with games. We also believe, because we're just not that talented at gaming, that we prefer to compete with our minds versus our thumbs. And so we built a whole platform around how do people compete in video games when they're not using their thumbs? And we call it gaming IQ or sports IQ. But basically the idea of you own a team, you own a fighter, you own a horse, and you're managing and controlling that horse in a competition against other people. And so that's where the AI comes in. So it's still hard to explain to your 89-year-old grandmother, but if you think about you have intelligent entities that are truly competing, and your job as an owner is to prepare them for those events, make good decisions on how you develop that horse, in our case, a horse, through training, how you develop specific skills for that horse that makes it more competitive in certain types of events or better at running certain tactics. So if I'm a front runner or a closer, what do I have to do in the race to position myself to be a winner with that tactic? How do I train my horse to be best at that? And that kind of concept of, well, you're competing, but you're competing based on your intelligence, your effort. But once the gates go up, your horse, in this case, or your fighter or your basketball team, they are actually the ones competing, but they're competing based on your directive and the directives you've given them. And they're using their intelligence and their capabilities to compete real time. So it's just like a real sporting event. The wagering component is important because you know as well as anybody that sports are just that much more fun when there's betting happening (laughs) on the events. And so we felt it was really important if we're gonna do this type of competitive gaming to make it permissible for wagering as well. The final piece I mentioned just to kind of bring it in is if you're going to have people developing these AI entities to compete, they got to own them. They got to be their entity, their horse, their fighter, not a fighter sitting on my server that I actually own. I'm just lending to you as a player. And when I create my next version, you got to do it all over again. No, this is your competitive athlete. And so the web, you know, web three blockchain technology was vital. To provide that last little piece of true ownership of the AI athletes that we have in our systems.
1: That is a very good job, by the way. I will send it to my grandpa later and, and see what he says. But no, you, you alluded as well to the regulatory journey to get this approved. And, and obviously, it's not easy to explain in a single sentence or two exactly what it is. And I would assume, you know, there needs to be a level of understanding on the regulatory side in those discussions. So I'm just trying to get my head wrapped around, like, how, how is this product classified from a regulatory perspective.
0: Yeah, so sometimes I think sometimes in life you do things first by the books to create a very clear differentiation from what you're doing that's new and different. And so when we went through the process in Nevada, we actually got two products approved. One was a classic RNG-based racing where we spin an RNG, we get an outcome, and we basically deliver a race that matches that outcome, which is how everyone else in the world does this, right? We go to walk into a betting shop in the UK, that's how they're doing it. Even some of these live games you see in web three, that's how they're doing it. So we have that baseline. Then we say, okay, well, here's what we're doing different. Here's how this works and how it works is it truly is a live event where horses are competing in real time. The company, the computer, that's running the events. Nobody knows the outcome until the horses actually cross the finish line. And the finish line is not a imaginary finish line. It's actually a 3D world finish line. There is really spatial reality. In our engine where the horses are running in a 3d world, they have spatial awareness. And so it is truly like a live event. So I think when people get their heads and regulators get their heads around the fact that how our system works and how it is a live real time race, and the horses are actually independently racing. They understand, well, this is just like a real horse race, a real flesh and blood, traditional horse race. So they approved us two ways. It doesn't make sense to bet on a pair on a. AI-based race via fixed odds. I mean, you can, but it really is like a live horse race. So bet on it pari-mutually. And so that product was approved as an other sport under the pari regime of Nevada's gaming code. Our RNG version is basically like a gaming device. It's a fixed odds. It's also an other sports sporting event, but it's not pari-mutual. It's a fixed odds event. So we actually have the two whole constructs of how our platform is approved in Nevada. And... That when we go from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, it's basically treated the same way. And so when we went to North Dakota, they're treating our AI-based races as horse races, streamed from Nevada. In Panama, we're streaming our races from Nevada to Panama. They're being treated like regular parimutuel horse races. We will also offer down there fixed odds races as well to fill time, and that will be treated as a gaming device.
1: And then talking about the business side of it all, what, what's the business model here, right? I mean, my impressions are you, you probably have a B2C product, but it seems like there's probably a, a B2B aspect to all of this as well. Can you just sort of break down the, the business and, and how you're looking to monetize all of this amazing technology your team's developed?
0: Yeah, you, you, just, you just did it for me almost. <laughs> the, so yeah, we absolutely have a B2B business model. Historically, that's been our primary business. We disseminate content to casinos, to race books, to betting shops for wagering. Just like a regular horse track would, we take a track fee. So uh, we disseminate our content. They pay us a percentage of the handle on all of our races. And that's how we earn revenue. Just like as if we're Churchill Downs or Pimlico or any other racetrack. That really is our BDB business in a nutshell. We send content. They pay us for the content. There are little nuances. Like we have advertising. If you look behind me, you'll see tracks that have billboards and they have, that's all paid advertising space. There is an advertising revenue stream as well. And the interstitials between races, commercial, we're doing all that kind of stuff um, on the B2B side. On the B2C side, it's a very complex business model because we really are serving two markets. Our primary market is the Web2, we call it Web2 mobile gaming consumer. the free to play, pay to accelerate, and skill gaming. So there's very few companies that do all three of those things in one game. We do all three, which is you can get a horse for free. You can develop that horse, race it for gold coins. You never have to spend a dime and you'll have a fantastic experience of the last few years. Or if you're impatient, like most people, you may want to spend a little bit of money to make that all happen faster. And you also may want to, if you're good, use real money to race against other people. We're permissible and we're taking, so we pay to accelerate is in game, just like any other app store game, you're paying for that acceleration. The stakes, you have a choice of having it be for fun or for real money. We take a rake on that real money. Then there's the whole Web three component, which we've added on top of this. Which we sell NFTs, we facilitate breeding. We're earning money in both those things. Um, we have contests and that are specific to our Web three community. That also have that leverage our gaming token or fiat currency, and so there's revenue streams from that as well. So there's a lot of different ways we extract fair value from this game. But a lot of it is really has the ethos of we're providing a platform for our players to play to earn. So it's not about us gouging our players, it's about facilitating their ability to have success financially in our ecosystem, which is a real, like a, a virtual version of the real horse racing world.
1: Very cool. You're one of the few companies, honestly, I've talked to this year. I've just been sitting here thinking about it while while you were giving that last response. And I don't think, you know, I can probably count on one hand the number I've spoken with this year that are still doing anything related to NFTs. So you're one of the few Uh, I'm old enough to remember when there was an NFT craze a couple of years ago. So I'm just curious, Jonathan, given that a lot of other companies that were sort of caught up in the hype a couple of years ago, they've all pivoted away to to whatever else. You've remained committed to NFTs in the Web3 space. I'm just curious if you can talk a bit about that and maybe just what your view is on the future prospects for NFTs in general, considering it's in the barest of bear markets and, you know, a lot of people have given up on the space. You've remained committed. Like, what's just your view, I guess, on, on the future of NFTs?
0: I think that there's a lot of, in a lot of ways, we are, we committed ourselves early on in this process to help bring the future to this space. People had a lot of hope and excitement about what NFTs can mean for the video gaming industry. Most NFTs, as you probably know, are digital art, their rights to basically mine coins. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that are, to me, feel like just intangible goods with no real world value and no progressive value, meaning that There's no way to create value from these things. And we don't play any of that stuff, right? So we call our NFTs, AI NFTs. They're not really yet. They're more dynamic or multifunctional. Um, we don't have AI code sitting in the blockchain. We will someday, but the whole point is that we want to fulfill the vision of people owning their in-game assets, their characters, their fighters, their, their horses, and being able to improve those things. That improvement is part of their permanent asset so it's being reflected in the blockchain which is kind of counterintuitive you know nfts stands for non-fungible token which means non-changeable but our nfts are changeable they change every day every minute a person is developing their horse it changes and so we see the nft as a necessary part of our ecosystem in that if you want people to have true ownership you want people to be able to develop the entities they have the athletes they have then the NFT is the best technology solution there is for it, but honestly, I don't know anyone else doing it the way we do it. And I do think the you know, pardon my former company or my pun of, I think we're a bellwether for where the industry's going. And I had a conversation yesterday with a, with a guy who's been in this industry for six or seven years, which is a, about as long as you can be in this industry. He says, I've never seen a single NFT last more than a year. And he goes, I think you guys have the, the most hope of being truly successful as NFTs. So, Yeah, I took that as a good vote of confidence, but you know, we worry about it. We worry about where the space is, but we get really excited about where we can take the technology and where the technology, like we're we're on the Solana platform, Solana chain, awesome, awesome guys running that company, uh, the foundation and really cool technology that's definitely supportive of what we're trying to accomplish. So we're just bullish on, we want this game to be successful. We're really excited about our next games. Like having basketball players that are NFTs, uh, fighters, I mean, there's so much you can do when you, when you move from, you know, a a horse NFT and horse AI to human AI. And so we're just excited about where it can go. And we're very bullish on the success of it.
1: You've spoken to this a little bit. I just want to pull on the thread for a moment here, but you've been embark now on a multi-year R&D journey, developing the underlying technology, the underlying platform again, all culminates today with the launch of your beta. But I guess I just want to ask a little bit about that journey, right? Obviously, building something this complex with as many layers to it brings a lot of like technical risk and uncertainty. Talk a little bit about, I guess, just the journey to develop something of this scale with all the different underlying components and the challenges presented. And, And from a team perspective, like sometimes difficult, I think, for a team to be able to to see a vision when a vision's way down the road, and a bit more abstract. But as you've gotten closer to today, it, it gets clearer and clearer. Like, well, just what's the journey been and the arc of it all, developing all of this?
0: It's been challenging. We, I mean, both from a trying to achieve our goals technologically and trying to get, it's funny, we, we we moved from B2B to inclusive of B2C. And we thought, oh, this will be much easier because we had to solve these regulatory issues and educate regulators and what we're doing. And Make sure we're compliant in terms of things like very uh, abstract things like well, your horses need to run like real horses. Your races need to be like real races. We'll define that. What does it mean to be like a real race? Well, how often do the favorites come in? Do closers really close? Do long shots come in, and how often? And and which long shots should be able to come in? You know, it's like it's a very ambiguous bars to, to meet, and for our team, it's a real it was a real challenge. But it's always rewarding when you. You know, there are little tiny milestones along the way that give you confidence that you're heading in the right direction. And so I think we've been lucky enough to be continuously hitting those milestones to make us realize that it's not a road to nowhere. It's a road to a, a really cool product that people are going to enjoy. But the B2C side, honestly, it's a whole different set, which is I've been blown away by our community in terms of just how fast it's formed. We don't have a game out. We got thousands. T- 10,000 people following us and asking questions and nagging me every day. When is this beta coming out? When is this going to do, when is this, which is on one level, it's fantastic. Right. I, I I love it. I love the enthusiasm. On the other hand, it's like, I don't sleep because it's every time, every day I'm late on the beta, I'm disappointing thousands of people. And it's a lot of weight to carry. And so it's a whole different. And for our team, I think it's motivational, but also at some levels frustrating. And also numbing, because I think they don't we don't realize anymore how good our product is. We've been with it for so long, working on it, and we and we have so many criticisms of our, of our own technology. I'm watching behind me this parade sequence. I'm like, no, that's not what we want. Right. And so there's so many things that are not perfect yet. And I think our my team, I'm lucky to have a lot of guys in the company who are type A. There is no satisfaction at the end. And they they always want to make it better. So the journey at one level is. Kind of micro rewarding but at the same time we know we have a lot more to accomplish and then on top of all that we work in a very globally dispersed organization um we made investments early in ukraine before the war we were up to over 40 people in ukraine developers and artists and qa people and it, the war has completely decimated us for over a year and we still have about 15 16 people in the ukraine but we've had to pivot and it's just impossible to maintain a company in productivity with what they're going through. And so those kind of things also make
1: it just really hard. But again, when you're successful, make it all the more rewarding. Let's talk briefly as well, Jonathan, just about the the funding side of all of this. Again, for people listening can probably surmise that uh, it's taken a bit of resource to get to this point, multi-year journey, globally distributed teams, all of that requires capital. So can you just to start with, give us a bit of a funding background or, or speak to how uh, you've been able to sort of capitalize and fund the project up until this point.
0: You know, it's a classic folks who I had worked with in the past, folks who were extremely successful, mostly from the private equity venture capital community, not their firms, not the institutions, but individuals were the guys that came in and provided the initial capital and myself. some of my, uh, the original team was heavily invested in the project. And we went through phases. We actually, our first phase, we pushed really hard in the U S. And we pushed in states outside of Nevada because we felt the Nevada process was just going to be too cumbersome. And we learned a lot of hard lessons that way, but we had a a gentleman who owned a horse track, was heavy in California racing, stepped up with a sizable investment early on, which was basically allowed us to grow the company for the next several years. But unfortunately for him and for us, three efforts in three states all ended the same way, which was after the governor ratified it, went to the legislature and basically the anti-gaming folks rose their heads and shut it down. And so, you know, after that experience, we said, "Let's we got to do something different and we pivoted to Nevada and I went out and raised capital from a gentleman who is one of the, I don't want to use the words what he is, but one of the forefathers of online gaming, built the largest, till today, it's the largest online gaming company out of Europe. He has been our patron saint for some time and whenever we needed capital, he was the guy we went to you know we obviously all kind of pitched in but he was by far the biggest uh, and he's been with us the entire way we as a company have substantial capital and he has sub- substantial capital and it makes it on one level it's a blessing on other level it makes it difficult when you have one very very large investor who's incredibly generous and doesn't worry about terms and that kind of stuff it actually makes it hard then to bring in new investors because you just have to balance that and so Coming to the data is still, we've, we've had no new outside capital for over five or six years. We are in the process right now. And we we're kind of dealing with the challenges of on one hand, the traditional folks we go to in North America are worried about Web3. And even though it's a little tiny piece of our business in terms of the technology, the, the market, the distribution of what we do, it's still scary to people. On the other hand, we have a lot of, you know, interest from the Web3 VCs, Web3 community. And so it's funny because I don't even have to reach out to them. They come to me, but when they come to me and they realize that, well, oh, wait, these guys are a US company. They're playing by the rules. They're a Delaware LLC. Their token is going to be US based. It doesn't fit the playbook that they're used to. You know, our token is a true gaming token. It's like you go to Chuck E. Cheese. It's not, it's in no way is it a security. And they're used to these tokens being securities and that's what they're investing in. And so we are trying to meet them in the middle. We're not going to change our ethos on what we are as a company in terms of playing by the rules, being regulatory compliant, being legally compliant, being tax compliant, all those things that we're going to do to maintain the status we enjoy, which is being a U.S. company and U.S. citizens. But we're going to try to meet them in terms of how do we structure this so as an international investor from Southeast Asia or from Europe, they're more comfortable with how we're structuring things like the tokens and so forth. So we're working through that but we're pretty bullish about the next round of capital. We're trying to fund not just the scaling of this piece of our business, but we have, you may know we brought in uh, on my board is Lou Castle, one of the the founder of Westwood studios, the guy that built real-time strategy games, ran EA for years. You know, he is a great thought partner and a big part of our company. Uh, Glenn Shin, who's the founder of EA big and built all their basketball franchises, and then went off to become the chief marketing officer of Nike basketball. He's in actually developing the vision and the design of our basketball game, which is our next game. And so the funding primarily is for that. I think we're going to be in a a very strong cash flow position from our horse racing game within a few, I don't want to say weeks, but certainly a couple of months for sure. And uh, the funds really are for that next great basketball gaming experience. It's not an easy market right now with the web three, but we're pretty hopeful that
1: we're differentiated enough that you get a sizable funding done. Getting towards the, uh, the finish line here, Pardon the pun on my side. Now, I guess I'm still watching the horses racing behind you on the screen. So watching the finish line, literally, assume you got a crystal ball in front of you there, you're looking into it, let's say five years from now, uh, you're looking into it, what does the world look like? And I guess where is invincible GG at that time in your wildest dreams? Let's address that one first because that's the easier,
0: the easier one to ask, answer versus the world. We want to work with the best. Like we feel like we've developed what we believe is the best horse racing game in the world at all levels. We know that it's unlikely when you go genre to genre within competitive virtual video gaming sports and combat, there already are world-class leaders that have phenomenal content. So for us, the goal is to have a couple of marquee games that are our own games but then open up our platform for the best in the world to come put their games on our platform. So I'm not gonna go create a FIFA football. It just doesn't make sense. Man, that on top of our platform with legal wagering on those events, with people owning the actual players, with the players being NFTs that are traded, it just takes that game and makes it, you know, a thousand times cooler. And it's already an awesome game, but it makes it, takes it to a new level. And I think, or take a game like Mortal Kombat, On our platform, just think of all the things you could do. And again, when it's done the right way and it's permissible for wagering legally, it just changes the game entirely. So that's where I see us going in five years. Assuming success of proving our platform out, the logical next step is to bring the world's best onto our platform. I do think this is where the world is going though. So just in terms of, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't think there was an inclination of people to do what we're talking about, which is competitive gaming based on their IQ, which is, you know, so the, the, and I know this is from serving companies like Sony and Sega and Ubisoft and EA back when I was doing M and A work with them and learning from their designers and, and leaders about the struggles they had. When you get into real simulation of sports or of cars, especially, as soon as you make it a tactile competitive game, the market just shrinks down to almost nothing. And you think about who plays esports today, it's a very few number of really, really talented people who are competing for huge prize pools, but the rest of us are watching and the rest of us want to be playing, not watching. And the easiest way to let us play is don't require us to, to win based on our thumb capabilities. And so that, that's where I think gaming is going is a lot more. And you see it, I mean, you look at mom games and Candy Crush. Those are mind games. They're not, you know, yes, you're clicking a box, but you're thinking about what you're clicking in it's proven to be a massive market. And I think what we're doing will
1: expose an additional new massive market for competitive gaming. Well, it takes us to my standard closing question. I'll quickly rattle it off to you. If you weren't working on invincible GG, doing anything in gaming, anything with NFTs, AI, if you weren't doing M and A back in the day or any other previous chapters of your career, none of that existed in a parallel universe. What would you be doing instead? Coaching sports, preferably
0: soccer slash football. What I'd be doing. Maybe someday I will. <laughs> uh, I, do, I do spend enough time thinking about how the uh, armchair quarterbacking, the coaches uh,
1: on the weekends about what they're doing, what they should be doing. So that's uh, what I would love to do. For folks listening that want to get in touch with you, maybe check out the product once it launches and just learn more, where can you point them towards to do all that? The easiest thing to do is go to
0: invinciblegg.com. That's our website. But right now, the hot place to go is to Twitter. Just do uh, Owners Club GG or go to our Owners Club website and
1: sign up and play. So, ownersclub.invinciblegg.com will take you right into our game. We'll drop links in the show notes to all those for now. Wishing you and the team all the best with the pending launch here. Look forward to continuing to follow the story and wishing you all the best for 2024. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having me.